Hello, this is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from June 13th, 2021. Do I or don't I? I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 34 through chapter 16, verse 13. So then Samuel went on to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gilbea of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehem Amphite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? They said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to, sac to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass before him, before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. And was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. <coughs> then Samuel took the horn of Israel, horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to reign. God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Now, I've always found that this was an amazing story of calling and anointing. The Lord chooses the one whom humans might consider the least significant. But Samuel's mission is not unambiguous. 
See, Saul was, Saul was still king and anointed by Samuel himself. And when he hesitantly obeys God's orders to make another king, it becomes a move that led to years of civil unrest as the two kings and their followers struggle for power. So let's do a little bit of background here. So basically what God has asked Samuel to do is in every aspect consider treason. He has anointed Saul as king. And Saul was chosen by the people. His job description, if you will, the ways that they decided that the people, the people decided they want Saul. One, he was a great general. He fought many battles and was considered extremely smart. And then on top of that, <clears throat> he looked good and he was tall. Huh. You start to see a theme going on here in this story? Yep. I'm going to comment it on it in a second. So the people chose Saul. Samuel anoints him after God gives him permission to do so. But now what happens is Saul, in the right before this, has gone off to war. And he says, he's figured out the language to use now that he's king. He says, God has told me we must go battle these villagers, for we outnumber them. So therefore, we must acquire land and holdings. We're going to go do this. Now Samuel, of course, doesn't like this idea, but what ends up really getting Saul in trouble is the fact that Saul does not do a burnt offering after slaughtering his enemy. Samuel points that out to him. And basically, Saul and Samuel have this argument that says, Saul says, well, I'm the king. Thank you very much. But I don't need, a, I don't need you to tell me what to do. Samuel is extremely upset. He was afraid this was going to happen. He was afraid that the human, the people's choice, would not hold fast to the Torah. And that it would not be as important to them as it was to the people. And here's your proof. Now it's, it, keeps, it keeps going. As if that wasn't enough. God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse, Bethlehem. And what I want you to do is I want you to anoint one of his sons. Now Samuel's no spring chicken. And he knows that what's going to happen is, is if Saul finds out that he's going to Bethlehem, possibly to anoint another king, that Saul could kill him without any uh, recourse whatsoever. So Samuel asks the question, God, what do I do? How are you going to protect me from Saul? Now there's an interesting thing that takes place in the Hebrew world. That they, the, the rabbinical and Levitical writers like to put in these like jokes. Like these, and they're not humorous per se, but they're they're. It's supposed to be humorous for those that are reading. The joke is, is really Samuel asking God, "Well, what am I supposed to do about Saul?" That's start number one. And start number two is God's reply to him. Well, you take a heifer and you go give a burnt offering. You know, because Saul didn't. And then he says, not only. Do you do that? You just tell them that you're going to go with Jesse and all of his boys to go do this. And they're going to consecrate it with you. You're going to consecrate them. So Saul has no recourse 
unto you because you're doing what you're supposed to do since he didn't. And of course, Saul doesn't catch on to that story. And did you all catch the part that they don't speak again until later on, almost to the death? Right? So here's the story. Samuel goes to Jesse's kids. Now here's where I get frustrated. Starts off with Abinadab. Says, oh, look how tall and ruggedly handsome he is. Uh-huh. Guess what? God doesn't choose him. Second one comes up. And it says, you know, that it's the, the first one's height of stature. And the next one comes up. And, you know, there's this image that everybody has. Uh, I like to refer to it as the pretty people syndrome. If they look nice, if they look good, we should make them in charge. We'll put them in leadership roles. Doesn't mean that they have any experience whatsoever. But because they are what they are physically, we'll pick them over anybody else. So Samuel looks at Abinadab and says, oh, this one's it. Nope, not him. Well, it's got to be the next one. Nope, not him. Evidently, Jesse has just a whole bunch of good-looking kids. Did you all catch that? And not a single one of them is the one that God chooses, except for... All of a sudden, he chooses David, which doesn't help my case in any way, shape, or form. He chooses him. And, and, and notice that the beautiful flourish that they put onto this. Critical scholars knew what they were doing, right? It's not just that he was pretty, is what they're saying. It's something about his heart. Now, of course, short people like myself, and I, I like to refer to myself as vertically challenged, have major issues with the way that they choose kings in the Hebrew Bible because I would have already been out of the running because A, I'm not tall and I don't have beautiful eyes as David does or ruggedly handsome as David. Yeah, thanks a lot, Samuel. Really appreciate that, buddy. And if you read it into the Talmud, there's this beautiful conversation where Samuel is so overwhelmed by David's magnificence that he doesn't just anoint David. Yeah, I forgot this in the 15 service. He's not just, he's just enamored with him so much, he doesn't just anoint him. He takes the whole bottle and dumps it over uh, David's head. Like, he just dumps the, oh my gosh, yes, you're it. So just to make sure there was no question that this young, ruggedly handsome, beautiful-eyed young man was going to be the king of Israel. It's an interesting story. But it's supposed to be a joke, right? It's not about the outward appearance of people that God chooses. It's about what's inside their heart. It's how they will lift up God's people in such a way that honors God. Samuel's do I or don't I experience is something that he's struggling with the human side of himself. Now we can relate to this, folks. We can absolutely relate to this. There's this idea that our world has become obsessed with, and it's not a new thing. We're obsessed with the way that people look, the way that they dress, our world has created this false image of beauty 
that our young women and men struggle with on a daily basis. It just drives me bad to have our young people think that they're not beautiful. In every way. It breaks my heart in a million ways that our young ladies grow up with this false sense of what beauty is. Some form of anorexic, skinny bone looking people are supposed to be beautiful. And then they get this image that they get from the world, right? The world tells us that these people are important. And they're so vapid on the, on the inside that we don't ever see that. We're just so focused in on what everybody sees on the outside that we continue to lift them up. And yet, and yet, God doesn't choose you just in that way. God has already deemed you beautiful. God already sees the imperfections of what the world sees and moves past them and searches your heart. I was talking about it in the early service. You know, one of the things that always bothered me is the way that the world lifts these people up. And when I was teaching in Appomattox, one of the things that drove me crazy is, is that we had this TV show called American Idol. You remember that show? And as a teacher of vocal music, every student that came into my room, their parents thought their kids should be on American Idol. And I would say to them, absolutely, they should sing in public. But I don't want your kids to go on American Idol. They would look at me like I had grown another horn out of the side of my head. And they would look at me and say, why is that possible? My daughter is beautiful enough to be on that show. And I would look at them in the face and say, and that reason is exactly why they shouldn't be on there. Because if you remember watching this show, and you, and you tried not to vomit through it, especially when it came to the critiques, they would start off with this beautiful voice that sounded like it came from God and the angels above. And you didn't see a human being, you just heard the magnificence of their talent. And yes, I get a little animated about this, but then you hear Simon the Jerkface saying to them, I'm sorry, you have a beautiful voice, but you need to lose 40 pounds. And then they would vote people off based off of their appearance, not the voice of God and the angels that came from their body as if they had some right to determine their beauty on behalf of God and all of you. Remember the people of Israel chose Saul for his quick job description. He was tall and ruggedly handsome and he was a great general and look at all the things that he did wrong. He goes and kills in the name of God and doesn't even have the courtesy to do a burnt offering. I think the, the moment here is that 
God will provide. You see, when Saul is, Samuel is worried that Saul will kill him, another part of this joke is, is that God will always provide, even when you don't think he will. The do I or don't I scenario comes to that place where you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, but I don't know if I should be doing this, God. I'm going to go anoint another person, even though you've told me to. What happens if Saul finds out? Well, take a heifer with you and do the burnt offering. You can hear the chuckle, right? With the people. Duh. You can hear it, right? What makes you think that God would ever lead you in a path of harm? What would make you think that God would ever abandon you or not protect you when the world has a different image of leadership? Now, church, it's extremely important to me that hear me say this in such a way that you understand where I'm coming from. The do I or don't I has nothing to do with what the world tells Samuel. It has everything to do with what God told Samuel. Do you hear me, church? This is that moment that we find ourselves in as church at First Christian Church at Barry. You just had this beautiful congregational meeting where we voted on some new officers and we continue to affirm our deacons and elders and we elected new deacons and we come up with this great plan. We created a budget and, and all of these things because we feel that God is guiding us in this direction. The question that we should be asking ourselves is do I or don't I listen to the voice of God? As this new year begins, Samuel does it from second nature. And he does it, remember, he's a hero, right? And even he asks God, yeah, but what about? And in the midst of the story, God says, without saying, I will be there for you. In the midst of your discomfort, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your trepidations, I will be there for you. As scary as the world is, I always bring you comfort. Even Paul gets this idea. And I'm, I'm jumping ship like it's extremely abrupt. But by the time you get to the New Testament, you see, we start to follow Jesus as our leader. As the one who gives and waits and blazes a trail for us in such a way that we follow in his footsteps. It's why you call yourselves Christians. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that Paul makes the argument for the fact that not everything that has a shine to it is gold. At his time, there was still the problem of the success theology. Those that win and fight and accumulate should be the next ruler. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says. Success to Jesus, that path that you find yourself walking in, 
as you hear Jesus urging you to be a follower of Jesus. You can hear it. You can hear the question in the back of your mind, should I or shouldn't I? We had a magic wand. And we had the ability to fix everything in the blink of an eye. What do we do? Well, we don't have it. So you're faced with a mortal battle. We don't have a lot of homeless people in Perry, but we have them. We, we don't have a lot of people that are starving, but we have them. We don't have a lot of people that uh, are, go without clothing, but we have them. And we come to this place every single day of our lives, listening to that still small voice in our head going, God, should I? My hope is that over the last weeks, as we've been working together, over the last years, of your faith over the last years of our journey together that you have seen with your own eyes that if it's for the glory of God that God will protect us even when the world will not. So church, we ask God to guide us in every walk of our life. We find ourselves in the midst of our own paths that have been blazed for us. Asking God, do I or don't I? Knowing that God will give us that path. And we have the choice whether to follow it or not. But if you do choose to do it, I hope that you take this lesson from Samuel. That you might have the opportunity to dump your whole bottle of anointing oil over someone that God has put into your life. In the ways that you show love and compassion in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.